Hello, friends, and welcome to World Build With Us, the podcast where we create fantastical worlds with help from you, our listeners. My name is Rob Hilferney, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Daniel Quinn and Courtney Staples. On today's episode, we are finishing up our foray into fully automated luxury gay space communism, a.k.a. Utopia of a Thousand Laws. But before we get into today's episode, I would like to remind you that this is the second part of a two-part series. Go back to our first episode or you will be pretty confused otherwise. Also, a huge thank you to our patron, Commissar Whiskers, for this particular prompt. It's been an absolute blast running through this setting thus far, and I'm so excited to get to the next stage of our evolution, or I mean, the next episode. And if you want us to build your world, you can always go to our website, worldbuildwithus.com, click the link, follow the instructions, and within a reasonable amount of time, we'll be building your world. If you want to follow us on social media, we're over on Twitter at Let's World Build, or if you want to get in contact with us more directly or be part of our community, come click the link and join our Discord, where we just have fun chatting about stuff in general, episodes, world building, you name it, it's all over the place, it's a great time. And of course, if you're feeling particularly generous, like our patron, Commissar Whiskers, you can join our Patreon and get access to all sorts of patron-only goodies, including patron-only episodes, double the length on your setting, a patron-only Discord channel, and uh, other stuff that I'm forgetting at the moment. But it's it's all there. You can go check it out on our Patreon. And with all of that out of the way, we can jump right into the episode where last we left off, we had a twist, which was now remove some blood sacrifice, a.k.a. make it nicer. And Courtney, considering that this twist is directly targeted at you, I feel uh-huh. like it's only appropriate that we start with Daniel. So Daniel, go ahead and hit us with your first tenet to reconcile the twist. <laughs> you always do that. Always. It's a fun <laughs> swerve. Of course, mm-hmm. now I can't mm-hmm. do it because you'll be expecting it. So next time, <laughs> I know. expect the straight shot. You have to do it like in the middle of the episode when it's like we're not even talking about that. And I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) I'll figure out a way. Don't worry. I'm Wiley. Um, So I didn't have anything very elaborate, but I just thought I could introduce a restraint for the twist. That would be that um, these because our villains are these capitalist terrorists, essentially. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Fascist as well. Yeah. Yeah. Like I thought perhaps what I could say to make things less bloodthirsty is to say that their methods um, are not violent and they're not intending to destroy the society, but transform it. Oh, right. They want to transform it back. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But Mm -hmm. but they don't have like terroristic in the sense of like physical or psychological harm that you would typically expect from terrorists. Oh, I see. So this is like all PSYOP work basically is what you're suggesting. Yeah, like maybe for them it's a battle of ideas, right? Rather than, Mm -hmm. you know, propaganda. Propaganda is a form of, I would say, psychological harm too. So perhaps their methodology is more about open ideologuing, you know, Mm -hmm. So, that, I mean, it wouldn't make them terrorists. That's the tricky part. So I don't know how we want to handle that. But but my overall feeling is that their methods are not overtly violent or psychologically violent. Mm-hmm. Okay. Really love that. I love the fact that you're defanging a lot of what we're talking about here. So it's not like there's, you know, open violence and bloodshed on the streets a yeah. lot of the time, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of the time. However, what I might suggest here is that the exception to that rule are those supernatural monster-like beings oh, that right, are transformed. Because yeah. they're in the shadows anyway, too, like manipulating right. things, mm. right? So they could be special. <laughs> right. Yeah. So so them being special, are they are the points of violence. Those are the expressions of violence. Whereas for the most part, right, like these fascistic corporate rebels, uh, I'm still not over the fact that they're rebels. Because again, when you mm. hear rebel, you just assume they're the good guy. And in my brain, I'm like, fascist rebel? What? Oh, my brain. Well, depends on the point of view for all that stuff. Right. Basically. I, I completely agree. But in my brain, when I think rebel, I think Star Wars. And <laughs> in Star Wars, the rebels are the good guys. Okay. You'll excuse mm-hmm. my dumb, dumb brain. <laughs> but anyway, uh, let's let's go back and talk about the, the idea that the monsters, quote unquote, these transformed 
uber capitalist fascists, they are the expressions of violence. They are the exception, which is why you have the Van Helsing judge character or archetype, I suppose, walking around and being like, all right, we got to do something to these folks. So I, I love that as a as an idea, Daniel. That's really fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm also picturing like the the less violent, non-monstrous ones being more like kind of cheesy supervillains, like, haha, mm. I'm going to freeze Ray, whatever, that sort of thing, <laughs> as opposed to like legitimately like killing people. <laughs> Well, I mean, in the last episode, you mentioned that a major expression of their rebellion and forces of power is by knocking out communication. So it's like, Mm -hmm. that's already some kind of like super villain level stuff. It's just that Mm -hmm. normally what happens after communication is cut is, you know, a fascistic uprising and control. Mass panic. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) And, And also mass panic, yes. Although, I mean, that's not entirely true because, you know, we remember New York in the 2000s when they had that massive blackout and people just kind of chilled and they're like, oh, cool. Power's out. Well, let's hang out and like play board games and shit, you know. I'm sure we're confined at some point in history, mass panic resulting in the loss of power, you know. Oh, I'm sure. But, you know, like I I, I tend to err on the side of kindness when it comes to groups like that, because historically there's a surprising amount of... uh, coming together in the face of adversity. You know, like when you think of stuff like the Blitz, where people weren't like cutting each other's throats, it's like, oh no, we're actually going to be bonded together stronger than ever before. You know, like that kind of thing. Community comes together. People help each other more in the face of panic. And with the Joker in that um, people will definitely blow each other up if necessary. Uh, see, you say that, Daniel, but that's that's a very cynical view of the world. Some would call it realistic. <laughs> uh yeah the joker would <laughs> so right. so you know just it's it's a matter of perspective just like that quote from that movie he was a visionary <laughs> yes uh heath ledger sure was a visionary i agree with you there <laughs> <laughs> um, but any, anyway let's let's uh let's get back to it so daniel that was your tenant we've kind of worked through it right that feels good we're happy about that yeah i think that um those special vampire characters, like they're their own magical special level of evil. But I think <laughs> as long if we have the regular rebels, um, even though they might have fascist ideas or mm-hmm. um, I don't know, like extreme versions of capitalist ideas, like the point is that they are not violent and they're actually yes. fighting a battle of ideals. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I know that that doesn't necessarily jibe with the whole fascist thing, but I think it's a fun concept to roll with. Well, and I I'm sure they don't view their own perspective as fascist, like. Of course they don't. No fascist does. Although that's not entirely true. But anyway, uh, yes, I I love that idea. Like, I love that every henchman is basically like, I'm going to defeat you in the battlefield of ideas, you know, like, or or the marketplace of ideas. Sorry. So, yeah, I I do really love that. Uh, I think that's really good. So, Courtney, after the teasing you, let's go ahead and roll into your suggestion. So how mad are you? That we have a specific <laughs> twist that is designed to curtail your bloodthirst. So mad. So mad. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think it, especially in this setting, it feels like it fits well. Mm-hmm. So mine was that, you know, last time I established that art and the visual nature of things affects their function. And we then mm-hmm. went into sort of a psychic link that you can have with maker technology. Mm. So I'm going to say that art therapy is a major facet of how the capitalist criminals are rehabilitated. They're given the artistic tools to work through why they value personal wealth and status over, you know, the collective good. And that process could potentially break down the monstrous aspects that they developed, like Mm. the sort of vampires and stuff that we were talking about. And of course, it's not a guarantee, but for the ones it does work for, it's obviously a more peaceful, uh, less bloodthirsty method of resolving conflicts than violence or permanent imprisonment or what have Mm. you. Courtney, I got to say, I really love that idea. Mm. Like, I think that's such a cool expression of everything that we've come together with thus far. I, I'm in love with that idea. Absolutely fucking love it. (laughs) That's great. Awesome. That's a good extension of um, the initial uh, tenant that we just introduced without it being intentional. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
and that actually rolls straight into my kind of reconciliation with the twist, which is though there are expressions of violence from our judge character, the ideal that they follow is nonviolent takedowns Mm -hmm. and captures and stuff like that. And most importantly, I wanted to emphasize the role of rehabilitation. So the idea that we now have a specific art therapy thing, like is, is an even better expression of what I wanted (laughs) to really focus on anyway, because I thought, you know, rolling into this concept that an interesting idea that you can run with or an interesting conceit of a setting like this is the idea that you're, you're creating compelling characters like villains and heroes and, and all in between. And then, okay. So you have this expression of a monster and then you have rehabilitation. So that character, that interesting character that you've invested in sticks around and can be part of like the, the solution. And then of course you can have that anti-hero arc where they're tempted by certain things and, Oh, maybe the art Mm therapy is not working as well anymore. And they're starting to develop back into that kind of person again that they that they didn't like. So you have all this potential for great intrigue and great character growth and development and stuff like that. And I think what a great way that we can kind of show that off, especially is by showing that, you know, rehabilitation and recovery is not always just a straight line, because I feel like that's often the case, right, where, oh, you go through rehab and you're good right away again, where that's not how life Mm -hmm. works, right? Like you're going to be tempted. You're going to fall back and you go forward again. You know, like that's, that's just kind of how the whole thing works. And I think that that's offers an idea in a way that we can express that. Yeah. I like the realism that that brings, like you are going to have a lot of instances where you relapse or you struggle with temptation or just fall back into certain habits that even if you don't want to you know, return to them. It's just so ingrained in your mind that it's hard to mm-hmm. hard to veer away from that. So I do like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think what it does as well is like it it does bring a sense of realism to what is an otherwise unbelievable big air quotes around that kind of setting and world. Yeah. You yeah. know, and, and this is true. Like anything that is difficult, right? That people will struggle. People are going to fall back and need help again at some point. And I don't know. I just think there's something kind of beautiful and kind about the way that the world would work if we allowed that to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Like not have the sort of expectation of perfection when it comes to recovery. Mm -hmm. Because that called um, restorative justice, I think, in social circles. Is it? Mm Because, I mean, that's a cool phrase. I like that phrase. Yeah. I believe it. What it means to take early is using methods of, Instead of punishing people and trying to oh, heal yeah. them, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that is absolutely something that I see as kind of a issue with our justice system in general is yeah. the focus on punishment, right? Like it's a punitive focus. And that's like just like our schools are fucked because we haven't tried to innovate in like over 100 years. Like I feel like our justice system is kind of the same way where it's like we're stuck in this very, very old way of thinking. Mm-hmm. At least in the states, you know, I know that in other countries that's not always the case, but you know, yeah. And here too, we've got the joy of the capitalist prison overlap, where there's private prisons that imprison people for profit, which is oh yeah, good times. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there's a whole industry about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We could spend a long time talking about that. <laughs> Maybe that's a prompt somewhere. You know, <laughs> maybe that's a prompt that we can get into at some other point, but. For the time being, we got we got way more interesting settings to explore here. So why don't we go ahead and roll into so so normally this is where we do a faction, right? But we decided that this time we're going to be bringing in aspects of the lawbringer character, uh, edicts, if you will, where this is an aspect of their character or maybe it is some law or rule that they have to follow. Because we created this whole setting based around this character archetype, and we didn't touch the archetype at all last episode. And because this character is so central to the setting, we were like, all right, we got to devote some serious time to getting to know this archetype a little bit better. So, Courtney, I picked on you before. 
Mm-hmm. And it's only fitting that I do it again. So Daniel, why yep. don't you go ahead and yep. start us off? <laughs> it's the rare double swerve. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. So Daniel, <laughs> hit us with your part of the lawbringer. I thought it would be only fitting for the lawbringer to be subject to um, John Rawls' original position. And so by that, I mean the lawbringer is not allowed to know who they are or what their particular social standing is in the world either technologically or magically that's subtracted from their knowledge. Oh, interesting. Oh, can you expand on that a little bit, Daniel? That sounds really cool. Um, I'm basically stealing from the veil of ignorance. So the idea is that um, in order to be just, you can't be influenced by potentially benefiting from the laws you enforce or create. So in the veil of ignorance, the idea is you take a bunch of people and you subtract knowledge of who they are or their social standing And you have them dictate what the laws will be for the society that they live in. So that way, if they try to make unjust laws that could be against particular people or groups, they don't know if they're actually part of that group. Mm. So the theory is then is that they would make more just laws. So here I'm saying our lawmaker doesn't know who they are and how they fit into society as an individual. And so that's why they have to be more just. Interesting. That's yeah, that's very interesting. So we should also keep in mind that we have the AI law computer, right? That we have going around as well. Enhance. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) Enhance. But okay. Are you imagining this as a permanent state of being or is it like, okay, I'm going to don the mantle of the lawbringer and thus my identity is temporarily wiped out? Ooh, I mean, that kind of, that's kind of neat, too. I could see that working as well. At least in the idea of the Veil of Ignorance is that for the, for the um, duration of their servitude as lawmakers, mm-hmm. they have no knowledge of who they are. Mm-hmm. So you could parallel that with maybe them putting on this AI helmet, which is kind of neat, and then not knowing who they are while they're the lawmaker. Ooh. Uh, oh, oh, uh, and that yeah. fits so well with like the Judge Dredd imagery. Like yeah. they're always in this helmet. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. There's a couple of things that I want to talk through here because that's really interesting. Number one. So is it like a severance style thing Yeah, where you're basically separating those parts of yourself, right? Yeah, I think so. It actually severance is a great example because mm-hmm. you technically can become a different person. Mm-hmm. If you don't have the influences right. of who you are. And so they're like two entities basically. Right. And the second thing that I would like to talk about that I think is very important If this is a thing that is wearable, what is to stop the enemy from removing this thing mid, you know, combat, shall we say, or Mm. mid argument? Maybe it would kill them if they did that. What would kill them? The helmet. Okay. But, but we're, we're, Daniel, the twist, the twist, Daniel, (laughs) less blood sacrifice. Sure. But I mean, it's, it's a, a just thing. It, Maybe it would not. permanently wipe their knowledge then. Well, what I'm suggesting is that we should figure out some way that it's not just a hell. It's not just a hat, you know, that can get knocked off in a stiff breeze. I think that if we have <laughs> it be like not just a helmet, but a helmet that is also connected to epaulets or like a chest plate. Well, then don't make it a helmet. I mean, it can look like a helmet. Maybe what it really is, is like a digital interface. Like you right, attach right. to your mind. I, I suppose what I'm asking is, can you yeah. talk about what this thing is before he uh-huh. Mr. Magoo's himself out of the situation? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm trying to argue for. I, mean, I imagine when you put this on, you have to be in wherever the AI center is, where that thing is. And mm-hmm. when it attaches to you, it must attach in a way that's extremely invasive, like not in an unpleasant way. But like, for example, suppose it like prints a electronic pattern onto your brain that won't disperse until you return to the system and remove it. There know? we go. OK, mm-hmm. yes, that yeah. is that is perhaps <laughs> more what I was hoping for. Maybe the helmet is what keeps you connected to the AI. That's the kind of yeah, like the library telling you everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then that way you could have like a fun little Cortana, like law buddy that you can kind of talk to the entire time. And if it gets knocked out, it just makes the lawbringer a lot less effective because they don't have access to all the data. But it doesn't mean that they're de-patterned, you know. Yeah. Okay. yes. Because that's the kryptonite, right? Like when you're you're completely taken out of it, you know, you Mm -hmm. go from, hey, I'm a citizen and I'm a dad. Time to go to my job as the as the lawbringer. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you wake up and you're in the middle of a fight and it's completely disorienting. You're like, oh, I was not prepared for this. What's going on? Mm -hmm. You know, like 
I just feel like it's it's a bit too easy. But I love the idea that we're giving them a weakness by knocking out communication with the law computer, but we're not making it completely debilitating, you know? Right. Yeah. Like they, they just, I feel like if they lose connection with that, they wouldn't be able to like process their rights faster or know facts right. about the region they're in or like access the, the transit system at the right moment. Like all the superhero mm-hmm. stuff you mm-hmm. can see happening. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, actually, that's kind of an interesting conceit for like an adventure or like a, a a story, right? Where you know that the zone that you're about to enter into yeah. is cut from communication. So you're like, mm-hmm. I'll see you on the other side. And then, oh, what happened to that character? You know, like, how long do you wait until, right. you know, like, oh, I mean, there, yeah, there's a lot that you can do with that. Uh, mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong. Did we determine if there is like multiple people who do this or is it just one i think we were kind of implying one at a time and like i think Mm -hmm. the original prompt to sort of implied that it was like one figure that people were afraid of right because in in judge dread right which there's there's obviously some heavy implications about this right the idea is that there's multiple judges right they they Mm -hmm. are the arm that keeps this dystopia functioning in terms of like law enforcement right but i think that what we've done is is the opposite where there's a singular lawbringer character. And I think to me, that's really, really interesting or a lot more interesting because if we keep this idea, then what happens, right? If a lawbringer character goes missing and then they, who do they have to find them? Do, do they create another lawbringer? Is that even possible? Do you have to create a brand new like imprinting system? Like how does it work? I think that there's a lot of really cool and interesting questions that are involved when we only have one person taking on that lawbringer thing at a time. Yeah, yeah, I'm not entirely sure how to resolve that, though my facet does sort of relate to that, but also I'm not sure how it's going to mesh with Daniel's. (laughs) Well, let's hear it. Maybe we can figure it out together. Yeah, um, I kind of wanted to humanize uh, this role So my idea was that this is something that you switch out of after a period of time. It's not like a long-term job that you stick with for decades. Right. Because basically this role is understood to be a sadly necessary aspect of civilization. Like it's not deified. It's not seen as a superhero, but it's almost like the people who volunteer for this role who are chosen are doing it very much in service of the greater good. And it's... Thank you for your service. Yeah. Yeah, basically it's... Like it's an unpleasant position to be in because you're going to have to do some brutal things that you wouldn't mm-hmm. otherwise have to do to like these worst defenders, the monstrous ones, which is going to take a toll on you emotionally. So mm. after a certain relatively short period of time, you retire, you go into a therapy program to discuss the things that you did and how they affected you. So yeah, it's oh. like very much understood and respected. Like you said, thank you for your service, but never portrayed as like, oh man, what a cool badass. It's more like, thank you for taking this burden on so that others Mm. don't have to get blood on their hands. Yeah. And once you've completed it, you're you're actually given the help that you need to understand and process everything that you had to do. I really love that. I especially love that because when we take it into context where like we have the villains in rehab, I love the concept that you could have a lawbringer who's processing his own kind of issues side by side with someone who they are directly responsible for bringing in. Right. Mm -hmm. I I think there's a lot of interesting stuff that we can do there. What do you, Daniel, do you see any conflict for Courtney's concept here with yours or what do you think? I actually don't. I think um, probably the way you can resolve knowledge of who you are. um, It might be that whatever, however long the service is for this, where you're patterned in such a way as to not know who you are. Because mm-hmm. you obviously you can't, it can't be the situation where it's like, I go and put it on, do my work, and then I go back knowing that I just did that. Like, obviously that can't be the case. The person yeah. must, yeah. either it's a prolonged assignment, right? Or um, when you're returned, you you don't know what you were doing during that period, mm-hmm. or it's like hidden from you in some way. But more to the point, like I think the therapy thing could be useful if after their service is complete, like let's say they served a year or whatever, I bet there's some residual effect on their minds mm. for having yeah, had lost, yeah. having been gone for so long that they probably have to resolve. And maybe then they remember all the things they did in a sense, mm-hmm. because now there's no danger in them knowing that at that point, mm-hmm. because they're not making any more laws at that point, or at least executing on the law anymore. 
Yeah, I like that. Mm -hmm. Very much so, yeah. Yeah, I like both the aspect of them remembering the stuff that they did, but also just the fact that like in their mind, they kind of just lost a year of their life. And Mm -hmm. like, how do you reconcile with that? It's kind of like in, remember in Star Trek, the characters who, there's two episodes where they end up um, experiencing a whole lifetime, one in prison and then one a whole actual lifetime. Like Mm -hmm. those characters throughout the rest of the series have therapy regarding that. So it makes sense, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, who who knew we'd be talking so much about therapy in this particular episode? <laughs> but boy, is it is it accurate and helpful? And yeah, that's really great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So question, right? Like the role, is it then anonymous? Because it's like it's a figurehead role at that point, right? Like you never really know who's behind the mask. Yeah, I think it has mm-hmm. to be. That's, I mean, that's, that's the premise of least of my thing. Right. Okay. Gotcha. Though I imagine the people like close to the ones who are chosen for this would kind of know that something's up if this person just sort of disappears for a year. Mm. Yeah, there'd have to be something to resolve that because like that's the other thing too. Like no one I mean, actually it doesn't matter. It doesn't actually matter if if you know that your wife went into the machine and became part of the laws, mm-hmm. it's okay for you to know that because what we're trying to protect is the lawmaker from their own knowledge of themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? Because if they know who they are, they're going to waver in their decisions because they'll have personal attachment to the world. So mm-hmm. I don't think it matters if part of your family is missing and you know that they are the lawmaker mm-hmm. because he can't, even if you try to exploit that as a villain, he's not going to care because he doesn't know right. who this family is. And yeah, if you told true. him the truth, maybe that's something like that has to be resolved because that he can't know. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it's also something like, oh, you have my family okay, I'm going to treat them like any other person, any right. other citizen, right? That's mm-hmm. the idea. He wouldn't feel the right. attachment to them. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like, I don't know who you are, but I'm still going to try and save you because that's my job mm-hmm. and that's what I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, th- there are some interesting conceits here that I think mesh well with what I had in mind. I I have this idea that because there's an individual, right? There's the individual who is the law. They are the lawbringer, the lawmaker. Well, they're not the lawmaker. They're the lawbringer, right? They're mm-hmm. the enforcement of the law. I have to imagine that there is a crew of people who are, it is their job to help this lawbringer. They're not out there, you know, doing the justice part, but they're there like providing intel, support, mm-hmm. all that kind of thing to make sure it's a field team, right? Like, okay, we suit up this person to be the lawbringer and then there's a team surrounding them. The reason why I think it might be interesting is what if part of the therapy for coming out of that lawbringer thing is being part of that crew? Like, oh, I've done the job. Now it's my job to or maybe there's like a cycle that happens where you start by being part of that that crew, helping them and getting ready for it. And then if you think that that's something that you're willing and capable and able to do, then you take on the mantle. And then after that, you help process those people through after the fact as well. Mm -hmm. Like I've done my year. Now I'm out of the suit and now I get to help the lawbringer again. Like it's, it's part of this whole process of, of the lawbringer, right? Because it's, it's such, I, I think everyone is cognizant of the stress and pressure that is put on this role. And they're trying to make a, an extended process to help them out before and after this whole thing happens. No, I like that it makes a cycle out of their mm-hmm. view on restorative justice, so to speak. Like, not only um, are the villains rehabilitated, but the hero himself has to be rehabilitated from, you know, what he's mm-hmm. gone through. And the people who are part of that cycle do the healing, too. Yeah. And and again, like, just from a logistical standpoint, right? If you're part of a team that is, you know, like, oh, I'm helping this person out and you see what it does to them and you're like, oh, I can't actually handle that. Then you're like, I'm not going to be part of this team anymore. Thank you. I'm going to find some other job. That way you can find the best choice for that lawbringer position anyway. Because it's like, oh, no, you see what it does to them. And then you can then make that decision on your own. That kind of thing. I think it makes for more compelling characters overall because there is a, Mm -hmm. a real sense of purpose for those who don it. And then the doubts that you can play up. Because it's like, oh, I thought I was ready and I certainly mm-hmm. wasn't. And, you know, like 
I, I don't know. I think it becomes a far more cerebral and interesting kind of character driven story when you focus on stuff like that. Yeah. And I do like the idea that they they're allowed to back out because, I mean, it, awful things can happen if you've got somebody who's in a position like this and you've forced them to keep going, even when they clearly are not you know, able to. So I think it fits yeah. with like everything else that we've discussed so far. Right, right. It's non-coercive. And I think that right, emphasizing yeah. the volunteer aspect is really important. Yeah, mm. yeah, absolutely. Well, all right. We rolled through that stuff pretty easily. Um, now, speaking of rolling, I thought it would be really fun if for the main quest, you know, like we could do something really bombastic like, oh, the the empire that created this rim ship or rim world is is invading and like that's something that is something that i'm not really interested in talking about right now i was thinking that what we could do for our main quest is just do like a monster of the week style thing where we roll a random die for some monsters that i have here and then we uh create a story based around that and i mean just understanding what that monster quote unquote looks like and how they express that side i think that'd be really interesting what do y'all think yeah i'm down for that Yes, especially if our monsters can be broadly interpreted. That is expressly <laughs> what I'm looking for here, Daniel. So yes, I think we're on the trolley together. No, we're having a literal mummy in, in space. <laughs> yes. I know, I'll be so disappointed. <laughs> from Egypt, Daniel. It has to be from oh, Egypt, otherwise it's not a real mummy. Yeah, yeah. the sarcophagus yeah. is brought in. Yeah, and it has to be played by <laughs> Boris Karloff and no one else. Um, <laughs> all right. Anyway, let, let me uh, let me go ahead and grab some dice. We'll roll to see what our monster is going to be. And then we can go ahead and dig up a broadly interpreted main storyline quest around that monster. So our monster of the week is going to be. A gremlin. Oh, my. <laughs> hmm. OK, so that sounds silly, right? Because gremlins, you, you typically associate them with, you know, the, the Steven Spielberg produced Dante movie that's set around Christmas time, right? Typically. Horror comedy, one of the reasons that PG-13 exists. But gremlins are actually kind of terrifying. What they are known to do is to sabotage machinery to, to non-functioning status, Right. So in World War One or World War Two, I think, whenever planes, engines failed or any part of machinery stopped working, soldiers would often blame gremlins on those things not working. Now, again, this is potentially an inherently silly thing when we think about them. They're like small, you know, like, oh, they mess with machines. But realistically, what this can also look like is, oh, uh, someone cut the brakes on one of those high speed trains and it killed a bunch of people. You know, mm -hmm. like it is the type of failure. And this is, I think, where we can kind of tie in a thematic element here. A way to wage a war of propaganda is to show that the system fails. Right. So if you think about how a lot of political propaganda works when it comes to government programming is that they will underfund them or prevent them from working in a way that is properly functional and then point to those failures and say, oh, see, they don't work. We should cut funding further. Right. Mm -hmm. Look at our public schools, especially for something like that. But like, I think that's an effective way that fascists can kind of point to government programs or government buildings or systems and stuff like that. And we can also incorporate that into a gremlin style little guy but I've been rambling for quite a long time. I'm excited about the gremlin if you couldn't fucking tell. So someone else, please step in here and prevent me from talking. I also, when I thought about gremlin, I think about, um, you know, some kind of entity that introduces bugs and problems with any ordered system. Mm -hmm. I also can imagine uh, some kind of gremlin mischief disrupting the integrity of the AI's knowledge that's mm -hmm. provided to the lawmaker. Yeah. You know, or a bug introduced. Like one way to to certainly cause havoc would be to infect the data being fed to the to the lawmaker himself, so that he makes wrong judgments, and that would certainly undermine the system. Mm. Yeah, like Ooh. if they could interfere with the signals that are being sent mm -hmm. to their connected brain and fuck mm -hmm. things up there. I like that. Yeah, 
you can see all caps gremlin, which is a project of the capitalists to um, mm-hmm. swap out the AI system temporarily mm-hmm. on the lawmaker so that yeah. the person he's hearing is not, in fact, the one he's used to trusting. And it's giving him wrong information. And of course, gremlin is spelled G-R-M-1-N yes. uh, because you got to <laughs> do something dumb like that, of course. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that's a really interesting way that that kind of. OK. I'm thinking that there's an escalation where it starts off with like mischief, right? Maybe there's like, oh, the the water fountains are high blasting pressure or something like mm-hmm. that. But then it escalates and escalates and escalates because as Daniel's kind of implying here, there's a viral aspect to it. And so the first phase is just get attention. So someone who has more access to more important things will come and fix it. And then you ride up the ladder until you hit the lawbringer, who's the target the entire time. And then that's where that kind of comes in, right? So in the middle of the story, you have, oh, you're you're chasing down the gremlin who is manifest in some like gremlin form or something like that. And then the lawbringer stops that kind of action, right? Prevents the disaster from happening. But during that time, they are infected by the Mm -hmm. gremlin virus, you know, something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that, too, because it sort of parallels how groups will use like seemingly minor things to make them seem like less of a threat at first. Mm. Like if, you know, a group does something, some like very minor vandalism type thing, you it's much easier for the public to brush it off as like, oh, whatever, that's just some idiots messing around. But then... Mm. Over time, they build up to the point where they're, you know, ripping out the brakes on these trains and killing thousands of people, like mm. you said. Yeah. And I think that portraying them as a as a widening, spreading virus of a threat is an interesting mm-hmm. thing to do as well. So it's like, oh, we've got to stem this virus at its source or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then maybe maybe that's when the actual virus is passed over to the lawbringer. So just when you think the threat is over and dealt with, it's like, oh, no it's only just begun. You know, like that's a really cool kind of arc that we can see as well. I'm sure it requires Mm -hmm. um, incrementalism too, because this system is most likely extremely secure. And in order to compromise it, it probably has to be like almost like a war of attrition that a hacker would have Mm -hmm. against a system, like a really sophisticated Mm. system. Sometimes it's not a matter of figuring out the way in. It's more like looking for your one opportunity to exploit the one bug you found that right. requires you to wait, you know, to do it. <laughs> right, right. That I was thinking that there's some level of dormancy involved mm-hmm. with this thing as well. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's an interesting way to approach it. Now, maybe it's social engineering, too, because usually the most sophisticated hacks aren't the ones that involve development. It's it's like compromising one person who then gives mm-hmm. you a key to another thing that gives mm-hmm. you another key. And you have to keep making these social engineering moves until you finally get to the, the secure information you need. Right. Mm-hmm. Catfishing is it's a big mm-hmm. issue in cybersecurity nowadays. Right. You know, like betraying that level of trust for someone in a number of ways. Yeah. Like basically, usually the, the really secure systems, the only way to get into them is by compromising the people involved because they're fallible. Right. It's not necessarily yeah, the code. Yeah. That is, you know. Mm. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. I'm also picturing like the the figurehead gremlin here as like a human who's hooked up to some like crazy yeah. setup that it's almost like a yeah. human version of the AI. I was Ooh. I was thinking that they're in there like looking like Johnny Mnemonic or like straight out of um uh oh god, what's that anime you like, Daniel? Um Ghost Michelle? Yeah, there we go. Yeah, where it's like it's just a ton of wires and like yeah, visors exactly. and stuff like that. Like that's that's exactly what I had in mind. Yeah, it's like very cyberpunk, and they're probably using oh, yeah. a lot of the the stuff from old corporations that had oh, yeah. was supposed to be like recycled and... or something. But they they've like hooked it all into mm-hmm. them, and yeah, like covered in like logos and advertisements. Oh, oh that is so that yeah. is so cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I could so see that like visually. That's cool. Yeah. And I feel like the initial hint or like clue that you use to find this person is that oh someone found like that this area on the power grid is using way more power than it should Mm. or like oh this this general area is using way more power than it should what's up with that and then you see that it's actually one individual building but it's actually making it look like it's dispersing that use of the power over the area that's cool so like that's that's kind of like a fun like 
way that we can follow the rabbit hole, you know, like that mm-hmm. kind of thing. It's also the great basis for an adventure. Like, it was what you're going for in the beginning, Rob, because I can see now, and this brings in your team that you developed, like, once the AI is compromised, the lawmaker has to be convinced of this because he completely trusts it, right? His right. team has to convince him, you cannot listen to the machine because it's the gremlin. Mm-hmm. Then he has to rely on his team, who now in real time have to direct him on the basis of their own moral judgments as people. Which yeah. that oh, hasn't been man. tested in a long time, right? Like yeah. he's he's flying down the city block, and of course, Gremlin and his and the other capitalist terrorists have planned things to make him look bad, like situations mm-hmm. that will cause harm to people, like a train. And now he has to deal with the trolley experiment live, or <laughs> yeah. he has to deal with like, oh my god, that's exactly what it <laughs> is. is too, yeah, like, it? that's what they're trying to do, god. right? So yeah. like they're putting him through a gauntlet of all these moral tests, and his team has to help him make actual decisions as a person having no knowledge of who he is, what's best for the society in the moment, you know, and that would be a really nerve wracking for him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a I great that. conceit for an adventure as well. That's awesome, mm-hmm. man. Okay. 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 Normally, right. We only do one kind of main quest line here, right? I'm having so much fun. You guys just want to do another one because we can. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Hell yeah. I like, I even like, I think the monsters are a great jumping point too, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I, I completely agree, especially the way that we've positioned them within this kind of setting, how they're expressions of this fascistic uprising. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Also, as an aside, I had no idea that that was the origin of the term gremlin. I just like assumed that it was a much older like folk monster that got attributed to the the issues with aircraft. But the fact that that was literally the origin point is pretty nuts. I always, for some reason, knew about it from programming, because we'd either say bugs, or we'd also say gremlins yeah. sometimes, you know, in our code. Yeah, I've heard gremlins yeah. in terms of, like, computing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's, oh, man. Oh, so, so <laughs> much fun. All right. No more gremlins. We're moving on to another monster, and that monster is going to be... Ooh, it's a mimic! Oh, man. <laughs> that's that's really fun. There's so many cool things that we can do with that. Okay. So what are we thinking for a mimic here? And remind you, this is not a shapeshifter. This is not someone who looks like other people. This is someone who looks like objects and then uses that as a kind mm. of ambush predator style thing. What if it were to mimic the, the dread helmet? that this person puts on and like, okay, well that that's exactly why I said we don't want it to be tied to a hat, (laughs) right? Like uh, again, we we, want to make sure that he's not just like, Oh no, I'm powerless without my hat. Or it's like, Oh no, I've been because of my hat. Uh, Right. Like that was what I was worried about to begin with. Well, can we go back to Courtney's? um, There's something we have to do with mimics here and Courtney's, um, don't we have to paint the art yeah. that's done to objects? Mm-hmm. Wasn't that a way of resurfacing the influence yeah. of the old? Because we had this whole thing where the old maker objects have a psychic influence of mm-hmm. the capital mentality they used to have, or whatever, not psychic, whatever it is, right? And then yeah. the painting yeah. of that suppresses it in a sense. Because the corporate people weren't they scraping it away? To yeah. Reveal... Yeah, they were like scraping stuff away to show like logos and ads and things like that. Yeah. So I wonder if the mimics can be connected to that somehow. How so? I don't know. I just I would <laughs> feel like I feel like that might be a, a cool connection because we haven't really played with that. And mm-hmm. the reason why I think the mimics make sense with it in some ways because the mimics are making something ordinary horrific, right? Like mm-hmm. the idea that I mean, my room there might be some something that I'm used to here and that I'm familiar with is actually my enemy. I think speaks mm. to the idea of like this old thing that's been repainted is familiar to us, but beneath the surface, it's actually bad. Yeah, like maybe it's um, the mimic somehow inhabits or is one of the maker machines that's been repurposed to like cover over the capitalist stuff. So if somebody's doing some huge mural to cover over some enormous like office building or whatever, and they think that they're doing a good thing, even while they're working on it, they're seeing the art as they intend it. But then like maybe the next day it's warped into more imagery that reinforces the capitalist stuff that reinforces the corporate everything did you just say that the maker machine itself is the mimic yeah (laughs) she did oh man that's good because now you're able to because the maker machines produce right like if you can corrupt the dna of of the thing it produces that's pretty bad right yeah that's (laughs) real bad yeah Yeah. oh man because now you have like 
potentially an entire building that is just like literally warped to fascistic ideals, you know, or yep. something like that. Yeah, that's really good. That's that. Oh, man, <laughs> that that's terrifying. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm seeing all these little I mean, a goofy version of this little machines popping out you know mm-hmm. uh, corrupted merchandise or if it's a building like buildings popping out corrupted i don't know what you know well i mean yeah it's toys daniel it's always toys <laughs> it's, it's always to get to like, the children yes to get to the children yes yes <laughs> corrupting the next generation to turn them into capitalists yes oh my god it's a war of it's a war of ideas right like <laughs> if you can't beat the people whose whose ideas are solidified and crystallized into lisa frank brutalism you corrupt the youth <laughs> That's yeah. what I would do. That's what I would do. Guys, yeah. guys, 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 guys. Hold on. Hold on. What if they were Pokemon where you have to collect them all? Yeah. yeah. I was thinking Beanie Babies for the same reason. Yeah. Like, you yes. always want that. Yeah. yeah. There's false scarcity and suddenly uh-huh. there is a yeah. there is a market for them. Yeah. yeah. That's what they, yes. Yeah. That's what would happen. <laughs> horror Fuck. that's your horror in their society oh no it's awful it's just uh-huh. like real life oh uh-huh. yeah it's perfect oh fuck yeah. and there your mimic really is the toy in the hands of the child that it should be a toy but it's actually an instrument of of greed right but it's not actually the toy i liked uh, let, let's go back to courtney's mm-hmm. idea where it's the maker machine itself oh absolutely mimic. i just mean like like metaphorically like the familiar thing is the toy that should comfort the child when really mm-hmm. it is it is the extension of this machine yes, that yes, is, in yes. fact, the evil, right? Right. That's kind what, of yeah. what I think is really interesting about this particular, if if we're thinking that the machine itself, maybe there's some AI to it, like this is something that is particularly challenging, right? Because now the lawbringer is not dealing with a human element. It's literally dealing with a machine. So it's yeah. challenging mm-hmm. on on a different level. And as a recurring villain, like, if we keep it to this is a maker machine that is infected with a fascistic AI, right? Then what we can consider here is this idea that the the Beanie Baby slash Pokemon got to collect them all thing. That's just one <laughs> scheme. Yeah, because it can pop up, right? Exactly. With other stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah. So like, oh, I made I made toys this time. Maybe next time we'll infect an entire building or yeah. maybe, you know. Or maybe mm-hmm. we'll infect the the machines that we use to spray the buildings with art and stuff like that. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. Just like Courtney was saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Where it's yeah. like fumes this time that like creates oh, a psychosis, God. you know, <laughs> yes, that creates exactly. branding psychosis. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. This is such a good. I mean, this lets you also position the whole setting as a superhero story, too, because in this context, you could think of like Gremlin as a villain and this AI yeah. maker as a villain. Like now you've got one word kind of names for mm-hmm. these villains that the judge yeah. is fighting, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool. Right. As opposed to what we were setting up before, which is more like a Star Trek adjacent feel, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, I think it helps because remember that Judge Dredd has its origin in comic books, right? Exactly. So, so like, I mean, I don't think that we're going to have, you know, actually, no, I, I already fucked myself. I was going to say, we're not going to have a silly count vampire. I'm like, no, nah, I literally said vampire in the first one. <laughs> anyway, it's not, it's not the point. Cool, though. Yes. Huh. No, it's, it's, it's fine. It's, it's, it's okay. No, because we can literally have, that, that's the whole point is have fun, silly little vampires yeah. and like supervillains and stuff like that. Cause basically what we're doing now, we're just creating a rogues gallery or like various mm-hmm. adventures that this particular setting can have. And I think, this is something that I would honestly love to come back to because God damn it. I love the setting so far. Like we only have two episodes with it and we're basically done. And I'm like, I want to come back. I want to come back and do this again. Yeah. I could see doing even more of these villains because they're just so fun to, to workshop out within a few minutes. I mean, yeah. Right. Like I'm looking at my list and like, what would a beholder look like? You know, like that's <laughs> one of the monsters. Yeah, right? like there's yeah. so cool things. <laughs> That's his name. It's obviously Panopticon. <laughs> no, or Google. It has to be. It has to be Beholder. Because come on, <laughs> Be- you know. with a TM on it too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. The the that one's name is OGL. That's what it is. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. We've we've done it. We've done it, and then some. And we want to keep doing it, but we're not going to for now. However. If we want to come back to this, we really should. But anyway, Mm -hmm. until then, let's put a pin in this episode 
Do we have any other questions before we end it? I don't think so. I, I love what we came up with here. Hard same. Yeah, I just love the, the judge functions and I think that can work in multiple contexts. Like it can definitely yeah. be a game. It could definitely be a short story if you wanted. Yeah. I think it's pretty cool. Comic for sure. Oh, com- you built for comics. Yeah. yeah, just yeah. like the judge. Definitely yeah. an OSR Plus module. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. I'm definitely going to work There's on that. There's no way that you haven't already started on this, Daniel. Uh, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> the only reason why I haven't done anything yet is because like, I want to develop sci-fi rules, but I bet I can adjust this just for um, what we have right now, just Reddit, which would be fun. Oh, oh, yeah, I could totally easily. see this in like a steampunk yeah. kind of Yeah, setting. steampunk. There we yeah. go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's done, Daniel. It's done. Man, this is dope. Anyway, all right, let's let's wrap it up. Let's <laughs> let's take this home, shall we? Mm-hmm. So again, a huge thank you to Commissar Whiskers for this particular setting. And remember that if you want us to build your world, you can always go to our website, worldbuildwithus.com, click the link, follow the instructions, and maybe you'll get us as excited about Commissar Whiskers world as you're with with your own. I know that didn't sound right. Whatever. We're keeping it in <laughs> and we're keeping it moving. All right. If you want to follow us on social media, we're on Twitter at Let's World Build. Uh, you can find us there. But if you want to talk to us more directly, if you want to hit us with more monster ideas for this particular setting, or maybe you just want to see what we do with a particular monster, hey, that's possible as well. Go ahead and toss that over in our Discord. Come chat with us. Be part of our community. That's what we're here for. Let's see what else. Uh, oh, right. We got Patreon, right? Of course, Patreon. If you want a double length episode or you want to just have access to our patron only exclusive episodes or our patron only discord, hey, come give us money and we'll let you do that. And I mean, you don't have to give us money, but it'd be cool if you did. I mean, that's a cool thing that you could do, but you don't have to. And with all that rambling out of the way, that's going to do it for this episode of World Build with us. Remember that we love you very much, and we're going to get through this together until next week.